streaming on Paramount Plus. You ready, Bob? Well, all right. Audiences are raving. Bob Marley is electrifying. It's the feel-good movie of the year. You dig? Bob Marley, One Love. Rated PG-13. Now streaming on Paramount Plus. What is up, everybody? Welcome to the Junkyard Dogcast. I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They are Rusty Mansell and Kip Adams. And uh, this is the Junkyard Dogcast, as I said, uh, home of all the discussion for the national championship, Georgia Bulldogs. Uh, never have I ever hosted a podcast for a national championship football team or a live YouTube show either. I get to kill two birds with one stone. Georgia beats Alabama 33-18. Very sorry that we have not come to you sooner, but the last few days, um, last couple of days have been just absolutely wild. Uh, all three of us having to get home from Indiana, Indianapolis, uh, yeah, coming home, you know, half my crew here at my house had COVID. Uh, they're all fine, uh, but had to kind of navigate that. But uh, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very excited to, uh, to be here and to be talking to you guys about this game. And we're going to kind of cover what we thought about it, uh, you know, how big it is. Um, I've seen every single key play in that game. I feel like 50 times at this point. Um, and, and I'm going to get, I'm going to do a little hat tip to uh, one of our uh, competitors, uh, ugasports.com. They did a really cool mashup of all the fan reactions Great job. to the game. That was, that was so yeah. cool to watch. So good job by those guys mm-hmm. uh, of putting that together. That was really cool. But uh, Rusty, you got to see it a little differently than Kip and I did because Kip and I were shoulder to shoulder in a press box. Um, and, and you know, all somewhere b- between the sun and the moon, it felt like. Um, what did you see down there on that sideline? And what did you think about kind of how that game unfolded? Well, first of all, I got to apologize because I, we were trying to go live uh, for the pod, you know, reaction. And I'm sitting here going, man, this is so damn good. I mean, this is gold. I mean, I got Cortez Hankton. I got Rodrigo. Uh, I was walking toward Nick Chubb after I talked to Roquan. I mean, I'm doing everything I can on the field. I'm sure a lot of people here were checking in. And about, unfortunately, about um, 75% of that podcast was my phone was muted and didn't know because I couldn't get – I couldn't get – I, I just couldn't get to my messages because the phone was going off so much. I just avoided everything. And, and Jordan, our producer, was he texted me like 20 times, Rusty, you're on mute. Rusty, you're on mute. Oh, my gosh, you're on mute. So I apologized at first, but uh, it was a uh, probably the, the Keely Ringo interception. I actually got a great shot of that, and I'm no photographer by any means, but I just happened to be, as that play was going, just happened to be um, – shooting right there happened right in front of me and uh so i got a couple good shots on that we'll post on the site but that was as much energy as i've heard in a long time uh from my perspective on the sideline uh from a georgia bakari rambo had a pick six against auburn one year i can't remember what year that was uh going into the end zone 2011 2011 and and that, i was on the sideline he ran right by me i was on about the five and he dove in the end zone right there and the place went nuts so um i, I think that uh that was as much as energy as i've ever heard with keith ringo intercepted that ball it was it was crazy kip uh i, I feel like I, i'm not asking this for me because we got plenty of time together i'm asking this for the fans 
what were your thoughts? What was uh, what was kind of your thoughts about how that game unfolded? Because I feel like you and I traded. Georgia's not going to win this game. Maybe a half dozen times during that game. Yeah, I mean, it's really just about perseverance, man. It's it's we covering Georgia for over a decade. You've seen it all. We've seen you know a, over a dozen ways for Georgia not to get to where they just got on Monday night. You know, for that for that final result. We've seen every which way. We've seen passes get tipped. You know, we 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 we've seen miraculous plays happen. This, you know, it seemed like bad luck. And everyone talks about the curse, but it's it's more just a. We've seen every scenario unfold that results in Georgia not winning that game, and we've already. So that's kind of what you're kind of prepared for in any situation. You know, even at the end, you're looking at the clock and you're thinking three minutes and 33 seconds. What can happen? What situation scenarios can happen for Alabama to, to you know, to get 15 points, you know, in, in a minute and a half or in 56 seconds? You know, what what can happen? You know, what ways of turning the ball over can, can happen for them to get multiple possessions, for them to get, you know, to tie this game or, or to win this game? It's just – you have to prepare for all those scenarios. And, you know, that's when I look back. And even though Kirby Smart was ultimately wrong to want Keely Ringo to go down and not thinking that, you know, Alabama had three timeouts, he was thinking just thinking back to, to what happened whenever, you know, uh, Xavier and Sori forced that turnover and then immediately lost the possession of the ball, you know, and they ultimately uh, – you know, that ultimately resulted in a, in a touchdown allowed by the defense, even though they had forced a turnover. Those are the types of scenarios you're thinking you have in the back of your head, even when big plays are me, being made in Georgia's favor. So, you know, overall, just kind of looking at the end, uh, I was thinking this is just the culmination of, of everything that, that Kirby Smart and Georgia had worked for and why the roster was built the way to, that it was, you know, why Alabama had 2000 yard receivers, but, you know, I don't think their younger receivers were ready for that stage and, and why Georgia had it just a roster from top to bottom that just seemed to be, you know, hardened and, and, you know, iron sharpens iron, but just ready for any situation that unfolded. And it, I mean, we we're we're going to talk about all those you know big plays that happened that game, but you just there's a, the fact that there's you know probably a, a dozen big plays or big moments uh, you know beyond just the Kyle Ringo play just tells you, I mean that that is all what why Kirby Smart built the roster that he built to just to be able to have not one guy but eight, nine, ten guys go out there and, and make big plays and be unsung heroes to help Georgia get this title. Absolutely. And uh, one of the things – I've got three things I want to hit on here real quick, and I want to hit on them as quickly as I possibly can. One, the fumble. Okay, you, listen, we can say it wasn't. We can say it was. I don't think it's – you know, we, that was that's something we'll, we would be talking about if Georgia lost the game. Uh, Georgia didn't. Georgia overcame it. It's over. Uh, but that fumble – when that happened, it ruled the way it was, all of that stuff. Um, I thought that was the play. I thought that was the play that Alabama always makes, that all, Alabama always gets uh, against Georgia, that that one kind of back-breaking, man, you were so close, you had the lead, you get you know something that bang-bang to happen, and it goes against you, and it just seemed like more of the same. 
that's why what I'm going to say next, I feel like was is is the play that should go down from this game and maybe for all time uh, until somebody knocks it off is the the, the AD Mitchell touchdown catch uh, because there are a couple things that come into play here. One, Georgia's trailing. Two, Georgia is second and eighteen, I believe it is, and if if they don't hit that pass, they're second and thirteen. And Georgia being behind the chains was not a good idea all night long. Um, and three, what an incredible throw. What an incredible catch. Uh, to me, that was the punch that kind of stunned the champion. You know, that was the one that kind of had him reeling a little bit. And then Georgia landed another jab by getting the three and out. And then it landed a right cross by getting the touchdown to Brock Bowers. And then uppercut, lights out, Keely Ringo with the touchdown, with the 78 to nine yard pick. And, you know, one of the things was, is I was kind of looking at those twin routes in, in that to, to me, that was for us, that was at the bottom of the screen, basically for us as we're watching, I think it was on the TV as well, but I was looking at those twin routes on the bottom of the screen. And then I glanced up at the pass rush and I saw that it wasn't getting close. And I saw Bryce Young look at that way. So I looked back down and saw that both of those guys were pretty well covered. I didn't know what he was throwing at. And then when I saw the ball in the air, like, I don't know if I said this audibly or not, Kip may know better than I do. I said, that's a pick. And then Keely Ringo picked it off. And uh, my first thought was get down. Kirby's first thought was get down. A lot of our people's first thought was get down. But he housed it and uh, and put Georgia um, over the top in that game. And, you know, I know that's going to be the iconic play of the game. Uh, but but those three things stood out to me. And, and listen, it's, for my money, um, the, the A.D. Mitchell go-ahead, the technical game winner, uh, which put Georgia up 19-18 uh, to win that game, uh, you'll never convince me until something just absolutely dwarfs it that there's a bigger play in Georgia football history than that one. Uh, let's take a quick break here. And on the other side, we're going to continue talking about the game and get into some of kind of the fallout sense and, and, you know, guys entering the portal, coaching rumors, stuff like that. The baseball season is in full swing, which means you need to listen to fantasy baseball today. Part of the CBS sports podcast network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, every weekday as we recap every player from every game. We'll talk waiver wire ads, drops, players to trade for, prospects who could make an impact, and everything in between. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found. Survivor 46 is here, and so is On Fire, the only official Survivor podcast, and we have a twist this season. The winner of Survivor 45, D. Vyadaris, will be joining us every week. We're going behind the scenes of the biggest moments, the how and the why things happen, and the strategy and analysis you can only get from someone like me, a Survivor winner. Listen to On Fire, the official Survivor podcast, wherever you get your podcasts. All right, guys. Uh, Rusty, let's. Uh, we've talked about kind of the offense, and obviously Stetson threw a couple big, you know, big. Uh, sorry, touchdowns there late in the game. George's D and, and listen, losing Jamison Williams was a big deal. But even before Jamison Williams went out, Georgia showed us that they were going to bend. But they they did such a good job of not breaking. What do you What do you think about the way Georgia's defense kind of bounced back and maybe? maybe also fed off of some of that yummy rat poison that Nick Saban and company got the first time around. You know, and I kind of fell into this trap and I, and I'll be honest with you, I made a couple of comments on some 
radio shows and different things about how Georgia needed to do this adjustment, how Georgia needed to do that adjustment. They can't do the same thing. Georgia did almost the same thing. The difference this time was they won the individual battles up front and, and that they, they let their defensive line and challenged them and they made some plays. And I think there was a, a big effort to keep Bryce Young more in the pocket that um, they kept him uh, in, inside the pocket a lot more. And there's times, man, you know, you, you watch that game at the very end of the game. I want you to watch Stetson Bennett and Bryce Young hug and take their helmets off because they're the same height. And for him to stand in there and deliver ball, some of those balls he throws, I don't know how he gets it out in there. I mean, give that guy all the credit in the world because uh, he's not a tall kid. And he's got an absolute cannon and rope uh, tied to his shoulder. But um, I, I think, you know, what they did was they just came out and challenged themselves. And, and you heard Kirby Smart say there were some there were some pissed off people in the room and they just went to work after the SEC championship game. And, you know, that motivational losing – you know, and, and everybody's going to talk about the interception. Everybody's going to talk about the sacks. I, I go back to a play that I'm standing there on the sideline, and I know it's a big play. I think it's third and seven with seven minutes to go, and they ran a route they'd been getting first down on, and they ran a route with Slade Bolden against um, uh, William Poole, and William Poole was all over him. And, and yeah. bad the ball made a perfect offhand, bad the ball down. Yeah, that was what stood out to me, Rusty. It was yeah. like – it was like the play was moving slow for him. Sure. It was almost like he had repped that thing a thousand times. Yeah, I mean, and 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 he just reached in front, casually batted it down, felt good about it. That yeah. was that is a very big play in that game. Nineteen eighteen, seven minutes to go. I mean, he's got this third down, and they're in a situation where they're about to cross midfield, so they're going to get into you know potential scoring area for them. And they bat that ball down. Georgia gets it back, comes down, converts a touchdown, and put that ice game on ice. So. Uh, you know, there's a lot of different plays, but I don't think that play, you know, William Poole, you go back to the first third down of the game, the very first one, and they run an out route to 18 and William Poole's five yards behind him. And I thought to myself, boy, they're about to come after him on third down. And they came after him about five or six times. And to my, you know, to my knowledge, I think he only gave up two, two first downs on third down. I mean, he played great. They threw corner routes. They threw flag routes against him one-on-one. And uh, he really stepped his play up, and he played extremely well uh, in that star position for Georgia. I don't think William Poole got enough credit, but that play he made with seven minutes to go was a big play. Yeah, they got him. A, they got him like twice on that little speed out to Slade yep. Bolden. Yep. yep. Um, and outside of that, I think he gave up one more catch. It was a very short catch. He had a half tackle for a loss. But that takes me to one of my points about this game: is you know Stetson, Zamir White. James Cook, George Pickens, uh, Brock Bowers, A.D. Mitchell, um, Jamari Sawyer, uh, Broderick Jones. I mean, you can just keep naming them. Darnell Washington had a first down grab when Georgia was backed up, um, you know, and, and, and on that long drive that they had where they got the field goal. I think it was right before George Pickens' long catch. Um, you go to the defense side of the ball, Jalen Carter blocking a kick, Jordan Davis with a pressure and a tackle for loss. Uh, Nicobe Dean, Channing Tindall, Quay Walker, William Poole, uh, Lewis Seen, Chris Smith, you know, Darian Kendrick, uh, name it. Nobody dominated that game for Georgia. Not one single guy. The MVP choices were not clear-cut choices, in my opinion. But um, Georgia had probably 20 to 25 guys that made a game-winning play in that game. And to me, that was – 
I don't know. I just don't feel like you see that a lot in championship games. You see a guy take a game over. You know, you see a guy throw for 350 yards. You see a receiver get 200 yards receiving or 150 yards receiving or or something. You look over at Alabama stat, stat line and Bryce Young threw for 369 yards. And and Cameron Lotsu had over 100 yards receiving. Um, they had two guys with two sacks each. Um, Georgia won the game without anybody dominating that football game from a statistical standpoint. And, uh, you know, I mean, I'm not saying I'm not I'm not going to be somebody – you know, some hot take guy that's going to say, well, that's the way football should be. I don't, I mean, football could be whatever it wants as long as you put one in the win column. Uh, but I just, that's just so atypical for me to be able to reel off 20, maybe even 30 different names that had a, had a direct impact on Georgia winning that football game. Jack Lesney being one of them for hitting a 49 yard field goal to cut that thing from nine to six. Cause you know, I mean, that's a big field goal in a big situation. Uh, and, and and a momentum grabber for Georgia. Uh, Kip, what did you think defensively? What stood out to you about what Georgia did to maybe, you know, slow Alabama down? I think you are muted. That everyone thinks that 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 Georgia brought this tremendous amount of pressure compared to SEC championship game. And I mean, statistically speaking, it's it's only because Bryce Young had what 56 pass attempts in the game that they had more pressure. I mean, it was, they were, they were sticking to most of their game plan. And like we said, they were just executing this time. I mean, this is about the same guys out there. They didn't make any changes on defense as far as personnel. Like you said, William pulls out there and he's probably their best coverage guy in that game. Only Allen basically one first down. I mean, they tried to target him and attack him, they threw nine, 10 passes, uh, you know, against William Poole. And he allowed like, you know, one first down, like you said, less than 30 yards. And he, he had more incompletions and he allowed completions. I think he, he forced three incompletions and, and he, you know, he had stops out there and, you know, Kendrick, you mentioned Kendrick, he only had two solo tackles and you didn't hear about him because he didn't allow basically a single yard in coverage out there. And so I, I think it's about having the same guys go out there and execute the game plan. They knew they had the personnel. We knew this was the more talented team. We knew that this defense was capable of this. And I think it, it's at all, you know, all phases of the game. That defensive line uh, created a lot of pressure on their own. And, and so, I mean, Bryce Young was pressured as much as he's ever, probably more than he's ever been in any game. And it, I mean, the, you know, Quay Walker was in there a lot, but also, I mean, Jalen Carter uh, was, I mean, I, if he didn't have six or seven quarterback hurries in that game, then I, you know, I was watching the wrong game because his pass rush in that game was outstanding. And so I, I just think it's, it really wasn't about going back and changing anything. It was about seeing that, you know, m mental mistakes were made in that game, effort mistakes were made in that championship game. And they already had the recipe for success right in front of them. And it was just all going, going out there and actually executing. I, I think that's exactly, you know, what they did. I mean, you, you had Keely Ringo giving up early plays and then making obviously the, the play that he's going to be remembered for for a long time. Uh, you, you know, the mental mistakes, overcoming those and knowing that you can, you, you can go out there and, and play the way you, that you've played all season, I think defensively i mean that 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 was just really crucial in, in this game i i just think that across the board uh this is again going back to recruiting uh you know kirby smart built this roster out so that 
you could have multiple guys out there making up for maybe mistakes from other guys. You you can cover up flaws when you have, you know, elite players across the board. And that, that's kind of what, what he was able to do out there. So, you know, I, I think that looking back on the defense, it's just going to be remembered as, you know, the best defense Georgia's ever fielded. And, one that's got a lot of guys that are going to be playing on Sundays. And I don't think, you know, we talked about how, the, you know, now offense wins championships, but you just, you don't see a defense like this very often. And uh, they're going to have to replace a lot of guys in this defense, but it's, it's one for the, for the record books. And they talked about that all year. It, have they, have they really played anybody? You know, is this defense for real? And I think, I mean, they shut everyone up in that game. I mean, they're definitely for real. We, you know, we thought, you know, whoever got to 2025 might win the game. And I mean, Georgia would have been able to win not getting 20. And they, you know, the fact that they have more uh, pick sixes. I think they had four pick sixes on the year. They only allowed three rushing touchdowns. So the fact that they scored more than opposing running backs as far as, you know, running the ball or, you know, just runs in general is truly an incredible stat right there. And one that, you know, I don't know if you're going to see a stat like that again anytime soon. Yeah, it was uh, it was crazy. Let's hit on Stetson Bennett here real quick because that means a lot. And 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 uh, Waldog, uh, you know, pointed out. I hope he's pointing out the article we wrote because uh, I was able to dig up. I was able, be, fortunate enough to be on the radio yesterday, um, or on the road listening to the radio yesterday when Chris Budden, the sideline reporter for ESPN Radio, pointed out how Stetson Bennett uh, suffered a wrist injury or forearm injury or whatever it was on Georgia's opening drive on that opening sack. And she said that he was favoring it all game long, uh, Theragun massager, everything. Um, he fought through it and kind of found a rhythm late in that game. Guys, so many times, four times in a row, Georgia's had a quarterback come out there and play really good football for a half or for three quarters against Alabama and then not really do anything of note in the fourth. This was the exact opposite. Georgia had a quarterback come out there and struggle mostly for three quarters. And for the fine final 10 minutes of that ball game, put together perfection. I mean, you know, I'm not saying that any of his throws were absolutely perfect or whatever, but the way he executed that offense in those final two drives was, was just perfect. And, uh, you know, the throw to Brock Bowers was not an easy one. He had two guys, you know, kind of right there in his face. He had to lob it over him. The throw to A.D. Mitchell, I don't know if he knew he had a free play or not. I think he did acknowledge that he had a free play. Um, uh, great throw. The throw to Jermaine Burton to get the drive started. Uh, pulling it and throwing it to George Pickens in one-on-one, drawing a pass interference, underrated play in that game. Uh, and, and then, obviously, the one to Kenny McIntosh. Kenny McIntosh turned into a little bit of a circus but made the play. Turned out to be pretty huge. Took a sack on that drive and, and you know, pretty a pretty, you know, solid one at that. Uh, but still, I mean, made play after play there when Georgia needed a 404, 83 yards, two touchdowns uh, in the fourth quarter there. Uh, absolutely massive. And it was just a, a, a script flip, flipping deal. Um, and obviously, a lot of things have been said since the game. Um, I, you know, Stets right now at, at Raising Canes in Athens, I think, running the, running the counter for some sort of promo. Uh, for uh, for Stetson, for uh, raising Kane, so he's uh, he's definitely the toast of the town right now. Um, Rusty, what did you kind of think of just the way Stetson bounced back and and found a way to impact that game the way he did? He was after the fumble. It was four for four, and that was I mean, 
to bounce back like that. I felt like he played pretty tight the first half. I mean, I, I'm just going to be honest. I felt like there were some times he needed to trust his pocket a little bit more, stay in there, deliver some balls. I thought he, he left the pocket a little bit too much, and he was kind of throwing balls out of bounds, trying to be safe, you know. And But I felt like to give him all the credit in the world, second half, he came out and, and took some shots and, um, you know, played loose and and – it looked to me just like very dialed in and even kept his composure after that play. After you have that call against you, every Georgia fan was going, not again. This is, you know, we're going to lose like this. And, you know, if you're a Georgia player, you had to have somewhere in your pit thinking, hey, you know, can we lose like this? And the kid goes four for four with um, the ball to, to Mitchell was just – that was on. it was the only place – in a hundred yards that that ball could have been completed and he hit that spot perfect. And Mitchell made a hell of a ball skills there to catch it and finish the catch. But uh, I thought he played great when they needed him a couple of scrambles here and there, but you know, it's crazy. I thought about this today, everything that Georgia has been through and we all three of us have talked about this. So you go back to the LSU game, 2019 when Georgia didn't play Justin Fields in that game, which was a blowout. Ever since then, all three of us have majority answered questions about the quarterback position at the University of Georgia. At some time or another, every single week, I'm talking about Dewan Mathis, Jamie Newman, Justin Fields leaving, Jake Fromm leaving early when everybody thought he was going to stay, to, you know, all everything that's that's happened. Uh, JT Daniels, the whole thing there. When it's all said and done, it was a walk-on kid who left, who had to bring him back. Who Monk and himself, they've been they've tried to bench the kid. And they have benched him multiple times. He barely got any reps in fall camp. I mean, he wouldn't get in reps in fall camp. He had to go to them and say, Hey, are y'all gonna play me? And they basically said no. For that kid to come back and to be the guy to win the national championship for Georgia, I just it, you can't write a script like that. And and all the credit in the world for that kid. And you saw the emotion from him. Uh and 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 listen. That kid's 23 years old, and I know he doesn't read social media. He says he doesn't, but I, I don't care who you are. You have to hear that noise, and you know that people that that people were screaming for another quarterback to play. You have to know that. But, you know, he dug down deep and did what he had to do to win the national championship for Georgia. And when they needed him the most of this entire season, when they needed him the most, he played his best football. Kip, what do you think of the stats and story, how it stands right now? Well, I just go back to earlier in the season, you know, like Florida, you know, those games late when fans were just throwing their hands up in the air because they, you know, they were waiting on JT Daniels to get reps. And they're like, we need to get him out there. He needs to get some reps in. We're going to need this guy. We got to have him ready. Why are you continuing to play Stetson Bennett the whole game? And you see that game Monday night. And you see the situations that he's been put that he was in, you know, if, if if Stetson Bennett doesn't have the experience, all those reps through the year, he doesn't, he might not make these veteran moves that he makes whenever he gets the guy offsides, he claps his hands and the guy jumps and he immediately snaps the ball and he goes full Aaron Rodgers and throws that ball down to AD Mitchell. And that's just a veteran move knowing that you have that play, but then, the RPO to hold that ball right there in Cook's chest and hold it, and then to see Brock Bowers open there 
I mean, those are just plays that you don't know ha- happen if he's not getting enough reps or if they have someone else in there at quarterback. So I just think that it all kind of culminated. Every single decision made during the season, they weren't all the right ones. But the playing Stetson Bennett the entire second half of the season, I mean, that that ultimately is what led to the outcome of him being able to overcome what happened in the first half and to overcome that you know, that air quote fumble that happened and, you know, being able to be four for four for 83 yards and two touchdowns. I mean, that that doesn't happen if if Kirby Smart and Todd Munkin and that coach staff don't go, you know what, guys, we've we've been wrong all along. I mean, this is the guy. We see it every day. He's shown us every day in practice. You know, the whole team has bought into him. We got to buy into him as well and make the Stetson Bennett's team for the long haul and just block out all the noise. Everyone telling us that we're, we're not playing the right quarterback. I mean, if if they start rotating quarterbacks, I mean, we're any, I mean, maybe Georgia goes out there and blows them out, but I mean, any number of outcomes are possible if you're not rolling with Stetson Bennett the entire rest of the season. I just think that he was able to get enough reps in there to where he had seen basically everything and, and that he, I mean, he was able to make those decisions in the moment that ultimately helped Georgia win this national championship. I mean, that four for four, I just think that's that's the culmination of, of him finally getting the chance to be the guy and then Georgia never looking back. Oops, I was muted. Uh, all right, and the playoffs, Stetson Bennett. We're looking at around 800 and uh, – I'm sorry, not 800, 500 and – 30-something yards passing, um, five touchdowns, one turnover. Uh, we can debate the merits of that turnover all we want to, uh, but uh, not bad. Not bad for a former walk-on, not bad for a guy who was uh, doubted pretty much all season long. Listen, we've had a lot of stuff pop off, and we're going to have to get off of this thing pretty quickly so that we can go to our do a little bit uh, of reporting here. But Latavius Brini has announced via Instagram that he is entering the transfer portal, becoming the fifth Bulldog to do so since the national championship game has ended. Uh, Amir Speed, uh, Jalen Johnson, who was a former walk-on but was on scholarship, have announced. Uh, you also have uh, Jalen Kimber, who I think probably not maybe not necessarily the most surprising, but the one that had a chance to really impact this team, I think, next year the most, missed all of this year with a shoulder injury, has also entered the portal along with uh, Justin Robinson, uh, a redshirt freshman wide receiver. That's the portal tracker as of right now. You've got five guys. Uh, there's also some some buzz in coaching circles right now for Georgia. I mean, Cortez Hankton, very much a candidate at LSU. That's not a done deal right now as of yet, but there are some people that kind of expected. We'll see how that plays out. Uh, Todd Munkin was, you know, a tweet came out today from Bruce Feldman saying that Todd Munkin could move on to the NFL. No disrespect to Bruce. Um that's this is something that you could have said about Todd Munkin last year and the year before. If the right scenario comes about, the guy's going to jump back to the NFL. He left a head coaching job at the co- college level to go coach in the NFL, and if he gets a chance to call plays in the NFL, he's probably going to do that. Also, Jamila Dye is another guy that that might uh, also be moving on from the University of Georgia. We'll see how it goes. Would not surprise us at all. And if he does, keep an eye on Traveris Robinson, a guy that played at Auburn. Uh, I believe he coached at Auburn with Will Muschamp. He's very tied to Will Muschamp. They've been together at South Carolina. They were together at Florida. Uh, Traveris Robinson is down in Miami now as of as of right now. 
uh, but we would have a good chance to join Georgia's staff if they do have a defensive backs coach opening. And I think that's basically got all the news covered there. Unless we want to add something, we don't. I think I'm getting the the, uh, the okay from the judges. But all right, that's it for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast. We'll be back soon to talk more about this offseason, to talk some recruiting because that's still not over, and uh, probably talk about some guys leaving early for the NFL draft because only one has really declared that he's going to go to the NFL draft, and it's not even an early guy. It's James Cook, and uh, he won't be back next year. I don't think any of us expected him to be back. Uh, but for this episode of the Junkyard Dogcast, I'm Jake Rowe with Dogs 24-7. They're Kip Adams and Rusty Mansell. And you all take it easy and enjoy that championship. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply.